Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Clark. <laughs> Welcome to Wordstruck, where we take a fresh look at great books. This season, we're reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and this episode, we're talking about chapters five and six. Tell us a little bit about the chapters, Alyssa. Well, when we start with chapter five, which is Diagon Alley, uh, Harry and Hagrid go to Diagon Alley, and they visit Gringotts, and they get Harry's school supplies, which include his robes, books, an owl, and a wand, mm-hmm. which, he sh- which he learns shares a core with Voldemort's wand. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so what'd you, what'd you think of the chapters, Alyssa? Are these, are these favorite chapters? Terrible chapters? This, uh, Diagon Alley is a big world-building chapter. There's a lot, uh, a lot of creation and introduction into the Wizarding World, and I feel like, well, the last chapter that we were in, um, Mm -hmm. The Keeper of the Keys, it was world-building, but it was all expository, it was all Hagrid telling us. Yeah. kind of, uh, clunky ways. I thought Diagon Alley, this chapter, did that, did the world building so much more cleanly and, and yeah. naturally because Harry, there's this great line that, that they get to Diagon Alley and Harry wishes he had eight more eyes. Oh, and... you already you already got one of my favorite lines right off the oh, bat. Oh, I'm sorry. That was going to be sorry. one of, no, 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 because it's a great line. <laughs> it, because like you said, it, it takes the whole universe and not only does it add a lot more elements and places to be, but then it zooms out. So you can kind of get a get an idea of the hustle and bustle that's going on around them. It, because um, they leave the little island and then they enter this place where it's just, how do you even describe it? Where it's like a big city, but it's inside of London. Yeah, it's I I think it's it's a wibbly wobbly timey wimey spacey wacy thing um, ah, where, yeah. where it's it's time lord logic it's it's bigger on the inside um, which I would argue that J.K. Rowling was either inspired by or um, uh, maybe a little thieving of some time lord uh, Doctor Who writing. I was like, I was reading along. I was like, this is very, very Doctor Who. And you probably grew up with Doctor Who, JK. Oh, she so, had to have loved it. it yeah. And it makes sense, though, because once you kind of see the trope and, and you experience it, you're like, this is a very handy trope for someone that wants to create a new universe, but not mm-hmm. have people really aware of it. So it makes sense. Yeah. You can't fault her for it. But it certainly no, absolutely not. But I, I was reading it and I was like, oh, I feel like we have something in common that I have no way of confirming that we have in common. But like, <laughs> we have this time lord. But you totally know that you're both. I feel both like Rubians. a camaraderie in that. Yeah, <laughs> that's sweet. Well, before yeah. they actually got to the uh, city itself, does the city have a name? Uh, it's they aren't in. They're in London. Um, they're, okay. they're not in another city. It's just another street in London. And it's and it's called Diagon Alley. Okay, because I was so, looking for that, and I. I would bet that it's a part of a larger network, okay. of of streets that are like this. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's like Main Street Wizarding World. It's it's what Broadway or but not but but an actual Broadway that locals use. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. But before they get there, they start off and they're still in the cabin that's been like wrecked by the storm and. It's Hagrid who took up a whole sofa, and they're still where they left off with the Dursleys. Um, but the Dursleys are nowhere to be seen. <laughs> like Hagrid yeah, took no, over there. We do not see them at all. <laughs> no, we don't see them at all. <laughs> they they ran for it, and they didn't use the boat uh, because the boat's still I, there. I'm pretty sure they're still locked up in the other room, and they're okay. just not. Uh, that's that's what I would bet. Um, that they're so afraid they won't come out, and that they probably get an early enough start that they just you know miss them and i love how they stranded them without a boat if they're yeah. still there the one boat <laughs> that like... they had they took and even though he totally could have flown away and used magic he's like nah we'll use the one means to escape <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm telling you yeah. dumbledore is just totally messing with them i, I think those little <laughs> things are planned I-, I really do oh man but yeah but i i really wanted to talk about um because i'm i'm a news person mm-hmm. and hagrid gets his daily paper which mm-hmm. is the Daily Prophet. Good name. Which, Good name. Great name. Um, also <laughs> makes me wonder: Do they predict the future? Like, does Wizarding News predict? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's a column. I I think it's just more is, their um. Oh, what is it called with the star readings and stuff? What is that called? Di- uh, they they have a, a later in the series. There's a class called divination. That's, that's oh. 
seeing the future. Um, so yeah, I don't know if they've got like a like a dear a- dear Abby style divination column or something. <laughs> that would be so great. Yeah, it's a little bit Minority Report, right? Yeah, We're like here's what here's what could happen yeah. if we don't prevent. I it. mean that that's not to say that that's what the news in it is, but oh um, yeah, and I have a hunch the, that he kind of picked up. It's I doubt that's like a hard news thing. I I will say the the. I might spoil this a little for you, but the mm-hmm. Daily Prophet is it functions as the the go to daily news source. Oh, for it's Harry the one, Potter huh? In it, so it's like it's like if if like in a, a Guardian equivalent or or Daily Mail or you know of UK versions, New York Times, gotcha. Washington Post. Okay. Um, but the other thing that got me was this owl. Uh, <laughs> needed wanting his it, money. It's like wants his money, and I'm sitting here like. Why isn't Hagrid on a subscription? Like, why why do you pay pay the owl every single day? Like, See, I think this is one of the the ways that she like um, ties together the old and the new, where it's like it feels old timey wimey. You know, it it's just one more way of being like, isn't this quaint? Isn't it a quaint world we live in? You know, and it kind of mm-hmm. ties back to like you not being able to tie down a time period, where it's like I don't know, maybe this happened back before there was just an auto subscription credit card thing. I don't. Know, I think it was well, definitely I, done on purpose. I mean, no, I, I mean, it just seems like, is this the equivalent of the single copy in the Wizarding World? Or, here was my other thought that I had. Maybe the the subscription isn't based on, like, a, a base limit per day, but mm. there are extra charges if you move around, because it, w- it was delivered to him where he was, which is not where he normally is. Oh, that would make sense. So that maybe sense. it depends on delivery time and delivery distance and labor and all of that. I don't know. Just a thought. I was, Which furthers I was the idea that sending this. all those letters to Harry in the previous chapters must have been so expensive. Like, so, so expensive. expensive. <sighs> Ugh, with the stationery. But Dumbledore's supreme mugwump. He can pretty much do whatever he wants. Yeah, he's the mugwump. <laughs> don't challenge a mugwump. <laughs> if I've learned one thing, it's a... Don't start a land war in Russia, alright? Or wait, no. Don't start a land war in China. Don't fight Russia in the winter. And uh, don't mess with the mugwump. <laughs> <laughs> bad things happen <laughs> these are the three best things that i've heard today <laughs> <laughs> if i ever play D i D, I'm, I'm totally rolling a mugwump and they'll be like you mean a wizard and i'm like did i say wizard <laughs> that's weird because I, I thought i said mugwump, mugwump. <laughs> they're like we don't have a book for that and i'm like uh okay yeah you just should. wizard yeah but, but put it on papers. yeah that's your problem <laughs> i make the rules i'm the mugwump don't mess with the mugwump <laughs> they will know anyway <laughs> So, anyway, mugwumps. So, uh, Speaking of the mugwump, oh, um, okay. uh, so one thing that I found really interesting in in Harry's conversations with Hagrid mm-hmm. was uh, Hagrid's explaining to Harry, "Well, we have we have to go to Gringotts, the the Wizarding Bank, mm-hmm. um, because you know we need to get money for you, but also like I I need to do this thing for Dumbledore. You know, he asks me to to yeah, do like, these things for him pretty uh, regularly. Like." Gets a little braggy about it. <laughs> he did. He's like, you know, I'm his, I'm his go-to guy. And then he proceeded to list exactly two things he had done. One of them was one of the things they were doing currently. And he's like, I got you. And I, I go to Gringotts. And um, mm, I would say that stuff. I got you <laughs> probably refers to also when he was, when a, baby. He was a baby. Yeah. Which yeah. is a pretty important thing. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he's not an important go-to. Yeah. But I was I was sitting here listening to it, and I was like, why are you bragging to this 11-year-old child about, like, your reliableness of Dumbledore? Um, and uh, one, one theory that I had on that was um, maybe he's afraid that, like, and maybe he has been perceived before as kind of, like, Dumbledore's gopher. And, like, just go get this thing, kind of intern Oh, yeah, role. that he's defensive. Go, go do all my work and so he like makes sure to spin it like i'm this great thing and and dumbledore trusts me and we've got this great relationship though really though i think he's right because um when when uh to a certain extent when hagrid was talking about the ministry of magic and introducing that as a concept and saying that dumbledore was kind of up for he was up for the position of the minister of magic um apparently that's a pretty big deal so in some senses being like the go-to guy for someone that could be in that important of a position, that is pretty bit break-worthy. It's, yeah, no, I, I'm, like, not belittling Hagrid's 
mm-hmm. actual relationship with Dumbledore, but I would bet because because he's the guy who was expelled and he's this weird gigantic oh, yeah. dude and he's kind of like blabbermouth as we have yeah. already <laughs> figured out and he does all these things in a sort of bumbling way and that it's it's probably an automatic defense mechanism for him now because i bet there are people who are less kind than this little 11 year old boy who would pick him apart in a heartbeat yeah totally that makes sense that makes sense yeah. um <laughs> and it's so we see them go to the first place that they go is through the leaky cauldron and in the leaky cauldron uh People come up to Harry and they're like all fawning over him and they shake his hands and someone someone shook his hand like five or six times and like kept coming back for more, which is hilarious imagery. Um, in this like old old timey tavern, I love the descriptions of the tavern where there's people smoking in the ta- in the corner. Uh, the the bartender. woman was smoking the pipe and didn't even notice that it had gone out when she yeah. realized it was Harry. Still smoking it, <laughs> just so focused on Harry Potter. And I loved seeing, again, Hagrid in that moment because he is so proud. He's like, look what I've helped. Like, look what I'm doing. I'm helping. I'm bringing this thing, this this secret that we've kept for so long. And now I get to kind of show off a little bit that I was a part of it all along. You know, it's like I am bringing Harry Potter back. And it's kind of cool. He gets his little moment of glory. And it's nice. So they're at the Leaky Cauldron, which I would totally drink the Leaky Cauldron. Like, no lie. I would go there 100%. Yeah, it's kind of the sketchy hole in the wall place that like you want to go because you're not going to get felt up there. Like no one's interested in that there. They're just yeah, like exactly. we want our quiet conversations and we're not going to be in your business. Like I'd be all over that place. And it kind of led to me to a lot of questions about wizard bars and like hmm, I don't know. It, like are there wizard alcoholics? Or can the bartender just, like, cast a little spell on the liquor before they hand it over and, like, weaken it? You know, you have to wonder about, like, what problems transfer over to the wizard worlds and which ones they kind of avoid. But that's that's mm-hmm. a small detail. Small detail. Because mm-hmm. they're about to go to a much bigger place that goes hundreds of miles of underground uh, in London. And that's Gringotts. Which, as you talked to me pre-show, pre-show, that's a thing that exists uh, for the listeners. Mm-hmm. And we exist outside we, of this hour. <laughs> we do. Hour and a half. <laughs> no, hour today. Hour today. Um, mm-hmm. Is Gringotts, which, as you pointed out, breaks down into Grin Gots, as in we got stuff and we're happy about it, which I would never yeah, have I, picked up on. I, I never picked up on it until this time when I was reading. I was like, hold up. What is this name? <laughs> hold up. Like, these guys are smiling because they got stuff. So mm-hmm. what what is the this here's my lame joke are you ready for it it's going to be great yes please <laughs> so if Gringotts is the name of the bank uh-huh, then uh-huh. is Frown Knots the name of like wizarding welfare <laughs> 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 oh it's so bad it hurts <laughs> uh, you just you just named our episode wizarding welfare Frown Knots <laughs> yeah <laughs> we could do Frown Knots too Frown Knots uh, colon wizarding welfare. <laughs> Uh, so they for the welfare of the wizarding world yeah so, they go no, to Gringotts, so we, we go to Gringotts which apparently what is your is impression just, well the thing that they told me like 30 times in this chapter over and over <laughs> and over it's like i got it is that uh Gringotts is very secure because it's run by goblins which makes it very secure uh so it seems like a very prestigious place the one bank the centralized bank of the wizarding world uh, is Green Gods, and they trusted to an entirely different, um, well, maybe not different, maybe they're goblin wizards, but they trusted to one specific race that's well known for their prowess in defending territory and for cleverness. Uh, so it's surrounded by enchantments, it's surrounded by possibly dragons and other creatures deep, deep, deep down. Plus, just to get to any particular vault, you have to like know where the vault is, but I think only the carts know where the vault is. Um, it seems like they do a very good job thinking of everything to prevent someone from getting in and getting out uh, right down to like having a trap where like if somebody touches a door, that's not a goblin, uh, they get sucked in and they're just stuck in there. So, and they check once every 10 years, once every 10 years or so (laughs) they kind of laugh about it. They're like, Oh man, remember that one time? (sighs) Hundreds of miles is a lot of miles to be underground. Uh, A lot of miles. 
But it's, I mean, it makes I would, sense. I would get so claustrophobic. It's like it's like going in a mine. Like yeah, exactly. Ooh, there's so much earth above you that I, I I think I'd have a heart attack. Like it'd creep me out. <laughs> Especially with the super super fast cart, this super fast cart that you can't get out mm-hmm. of, and like it's just a sense of if something happened down here, you're down here forever. You're down here forever. Uh, um. But the reason they go to Gringotts uh, to get back on track, <laughs> track because of Gringotts with coasters. And, yeah, there we go. Is because uh, Harry has this shopping list, um, which is much more detailed than his actual invite to Hogwarts. Might I add? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it actually gives him tangible information that he can use. It's um, very true. More on that in chapter six. Uh, but yeah, he has a shopping list of things he needs to buy. But then he has this realization right off in the beginning of the chapter when they talk about shopping where he's like i don't have any money like i have no assets to my name uh and hagrid is like no buddy like you've got money um and it's not necessarily specified that he has a lot of money though when they go to open the safe it said heaps of gold coins and then piles of silver coins i I think think it's it's safe to say it's a lot yeah safe to say (laughs) it's a lot and i mean just a hunch like I doubt Harry's family was that rich on their own, but I, I feel like, first of all, it's it's been gaining, gaining interest for the last, you know, however many years, 10 years, and I'm pretty sure the school has probably been kind of dipping into it, and maybe there's some kind of life insurance policy. Um, I wonder if there was, like, a, a, like, foundation set up in their, in the Potter's memory, and, like, to help, like, the public oh, that could, could donate it. money to help with you know future payments that harry would have i would totally believe that 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 would make sense where it's like you know people die and it's like donate to their cause but in this sense Mm -hmm. it would be like okay they died so donate to their son because he might be you know he might be the last living hope for this universe so do we think that he's like pretty loaded oh i i I think he's loaded yeah i don't think he's gonna have to worry um, about money for a long time they took like a teeny tiny, like, a, a, a modest am- amount of coins. And Hagrid's like, that should be enough for a couple terms. So, like, oh, that's a yeah, couple of that. years worth of money in that bag. And wow. it was a modest amount compared to what else is in here. Really? <laughs> like, You know, I never, wow. tied that, I never tied that together. And that's with the assumption that, like, Hogwarts is a prestigious school. It's It's the equivalent of, like, a Harvard where it's, like, things are not cheap. And they wanted him to buy a wand. And, like, later we see the prices for wands and stuff. That seems expensive. It, like, the wand costs way more than most things. It costs more than a dragon liver. It costs... And, you know, dragons are pretty rare. So, yeah, after they after they go to Gringotts, and we learn all about that thing with it being super secure, people have tried, people have failed, nobody's actually done it, which, I mean, foreshadowing much. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like something's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, I mean... I'm pretty sure if I'd been hit over the head with with Gringotts is impenetrable, I would not have. Uh, it That would have been a gentler way of letting us know that something's going to go wrong. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like there was a lot of things that set up um, foreshadowing and, and potential reveals. Like, for one, the Daily Prophet. Like, realizing that there is something, like a newspaper that every wizard gets. It's like, okay, this is now exposition bot. Like, this, this mm-hmm. paper will function to... You know, like the headlines flashing across the TV screen. It's like, da-da-da, and the newspapers and the montage of that. Like, this is where we will get all of our exposition is from the Daily uh, Prophet. And I feel like that's exactly what it is with Gringotts, where it's like, okay, well, someone's going to get in. Um, And it will be in the Daily Prophet. So on to Diagon Alley and all the stores there. Yeah, so one thing that... um, One thing that stuck out for me is trying to figure out the system of currency... And I feel like she purposely made it a little bit hard to calculate. Um, but I think it says here that like a, someone was talking about how expensive a dragon liver was and how it was up to like 17. Oh boy, I'm gonna have to look it up. But but we got little glimpses as to how much things are worth and, and the value of things. And even down to where it's like there were things in the shop that were super expensive in the window, but then you could also just get like a scoop of it for five bronze pieces. Uh, so I thought it was interesting that she got a little bit into the economy of the universe, um, because a lot of authors kind of avoid that. 
uh, giving specific breakdowns for currencies because then they have to stick to it. Then that's canon. And then anytime mm-hmm. they talk about buying something, they have to be like, well, I mean, they kind of have to do the math. Well, I do think that she kind of got out of some of those future binds by making her main character a, a, an heir Insanely to a lot wealthy. of money. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we're going to set up a financial situation that's not going to be a huge obstacle for our main character, mm-hmm. but it's still going to be complicated and still going to present its its obstacles to other people and it's going to help build this world. How do we do that? Well, we just make him rich and then we go ahead and make it as complicated as we want. <laughs> and... There's got to be a name for that trope. There's got to be. <laughs> uh so I, I thought it was interesting that she gave us a glimpse into that. Um, we also see some foreshadowing set up where we see boys around a window talking about the Nimbus 2000 and how it's the fastest, nicest broom you can buy. And I'm like, okay, well, he's not – I don't know if you play Quidditch in um, year one. And I think I think it said in the letter that you don't bring your own broom. I think you just have to use the school's equipment. Um, and, and then the boy in the store, who we later learn is Malfoy, yeah. said, you know – well, I, I think it's ridiculous that first years aren't allowed to play, but it's it's a crying shame, and I'm going to make it happen anyway. Oh, you're right, <laughs> yeah. So first years don't even play. But it kind of gives us a good glimpse as where it's like, okay, this is what we we will be doing this later. Look forward to this. This is going to be a payoff. Um, mm-hmm. So Harry's walking through the shop, gathering up you know, a few things, and he's having fun with it. He he, Like you said, he wishes he had eight more eyes so he could soak in everything that's happening in the city. Um <laughs> But he meets this, like, snobby kid who just, like, craps all over Hagrid and, like, is like, oh, Hagrid, that's the gross guy. And then he's, like, all talks about how entitled he is and talks about how he's, oh, he's going to rule Hogwarts and he's going to change all these rules and he's going to do things his way and he's going to be in Slytherin. And it's just like, okay, so enter antagonist. One one thing... um... One thing that I would like to point out, a, a minor correction to what you just said, of he oh. doesn't really say much about what he's going to do. He brags, and he will continue to do this throughout the entire series, mm-hmm. about what his father will do. Ah, yes, <laughs> My yes. father will do this, and my father do, does that, and my father thinks this. So, got got some... some uh, an interesting daddy relationship there. Yeah, <laughs> um, it gives us pretty good glimpses to like the whole spoiled, not used to hearing no, but but different mm-hmm. than Dudley because this guy seems smart and this guy, while he does have a crew of bruisers, much like Dudley did, this is going to be a much different dynamic because this is someone who's been in the world a lot longer than Harry has, knows a lot more about it, and can kind of use his intelligence to lord over Harry instead of just his physical size. So we're going to just encounter a completely different type of bullying, um, but still bullying for sure. And and she makes it pretty clear. You don't have to be too keen to realize it's like, okay, this guy's going to be trouble. He's going to be just a pain in the butt and a pain in Harry's side for a while. And then that's emphasized again in chapter six. Um, well, and, and so the thing that really struck me, we don't even get Malfoy's name. Like we later learn that's who it is. Yeah, um, yeah. Later but, on in the train. But in, in this scene... The, the thing that we learn from this boy is is that there are some serious bigots in this world and like and Harry's really unaware of so much and it's just it bums Harry out so much he uh he he like like all of his joy all of his wonder at this world everything is just like a massive damper on everything and like Hagrid brings some ice cream and Hagrid uh, he Hagrid buys him an owl for his birthday, which yeah. is so sweet. So sweet. Um, and like, and and that that brightens him up. But like the the enormity of of this world that Harry is not familiar with and does not own, kind of finally hits him and or hits him again because it's kind of been coming in waves of just I don't know what this world is and I'm so unprepared and like yeah I'm not Muggle born but. I like I might as well be <laughs> and yeah what is what does that mean for my value and my ability and I have a huge mountain to climb it made me sad for him yeah <laughs> and it is such mixed emotions on Harry's part where it's like he's in this new world experiencing all these new things and he's being taken very good care of like he's getting things bought for him and he's learning that he actually does have money and he has his own stuff like there's all these positive things that are happening like externally 
But then, like, when it comes to the actual interactions with kids his age that he's, like, so excited to be with, it's just like, wah, wah. You meet this first guy who's just kind of rude, and you're like, oh, this is not a world of sunshine and rainbows where I'm going to get my way at all. Why couldn't he make friends with the kids ogling at the broom? I mean, like, they'd they'd probably at least just get really excited about, like, oh, my gosh, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this, and... Like, talk about sports really yeah. excitedly. And all Harry would have to do is just, you know, like, stare off in the distance and be like, yeah, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. And they'll be so like, excited. <laughs> so excited. He wouldn't have to know anything. <laughs> so that's so. kind of his first run-in with another wizard his age. And it's it looks like it's just going to be back to school for Harry. Back to the same place yeah. where you are picked on because you get, you know you're not as cool and you're not in the know and you don't have friends and stuff. So I think he's a little bit worried that he's going to slip back into that. Um, but all of this is taken off of his mind by going into Ollivander's um, and, and mm-hmm. wand shopping, which they spent a lot of time on wand shopping in this chapter, like a de- like a good chunk. Uh, so all- it, it didn't feel super long to me, but I did love it, man. I, I just love Ollivander's. It's got like this musty, Kind of uh, vintagey feel to the shop. Yeah, and you can smell it. Ollivander's and... like almost like blind looking creamy eyes that are creepy and. <laughs> yeah, and it's know. a guy I... who's really intense and that's intimidating, and you're like, okay, buddy. But at the same time, like he's really knowledgeable and he seems to get people well enough to be able to pick wands for them. So it's like clearly he has high emotional intelligence, but he's also just a very strange, esoteric person. The thing that struck me as interesting with Ollivander was he seemed like a, 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 a I don't know quite what the personality type is, but maybe a neutral. Uh, what, what there's like neutral good, neutral evil, and what's the like oh. true neutral? Like well, there's chaotic neutral. <laughs> uh, the, the like the one. I think that, it's true neutral. I think it's something in the yeah. middle. Yeah. That's what he struck me as, because, like, when Harry gets this wand, and the wand is, um, it, it, the phoenix feather in it is from a bird that only gave one other feather, and that other feather went into the wand that was Voldemort's. Yeah. Like, so their brother wands, um, he's, he's, like, not weirded out by it, and he's just kind of like, hmm, interesting. Very interesting. And then he says this line that, um... I think we must expect great things from you, Mr. Potter. After all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. And so yeah, it's just this and weird, that line like, struck me too. neutral respect for, like, you have power, and I'm intrigued by it. And it's, it's kind of a creepy feeling to read it and see this really almost scientific, uh, like, mystical scientist sort of persona about Ollivander. Yeah, and it's know. much more in his interest to unlock people's power regardless of what that power may do. He just wants to get it out of them. And and when it's and it, when it happens to be like very powerful, that's just even more intriguing and he's like, "Yes, yes, like wonderful." So that's like, true. You're, you're I read that be line. another feather in my cap of you're going to be using one of my wands mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. do your great power. And what's that going to do for my business? Great things. That might be it. I don't know. Great things. <laughs> it could be, but I definitely remember reading that line and I'm just like, Ooh, like that's an edgy thing to say. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been edgier if he had actually said very Voldemort. Controversial. Yeah. 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 I think he's, I, I, I bet Ollivander's someone who would say Voldemort. He doesn't strike me as someone who would fear him necessarily. Well, yeah. And who's, Who's going to scold Ollivander? No one. Like, no, nah, this guy knows his stuff, and and he knows his role in it. And if anyone gets a right to say it, it's probably someone who played a role in it. It's like, no. I I gave him his wand. I can say his name. I know him. I remember his wand. I remember the phoenix that I came out of. I'm not going to pretend like I don't know his name, you know? So it's it's interesting to see, yeah, this dynamic and this person that seems... Not necessarily powerful on their own right, but a very important person in the realm of power. Um, though I, I do want to say, okay, so Ollivander is talking about Harry Potter's mom and, and the one that she got. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's a 11-inch. Do you remember it? Um, Let's see. Your father, on the other hand. So let's see. You have your mother's eyes. Uh, she had 10 and a quarter inches long, swishy, made of willow. 
nice wand for charm work. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and then his dad's is a little bit, which one is that? It's like 11 inches. His dad was, he favored a mahogany wand, 11 inches, pliable, a little more power, and excellent for transfiguration. Yeah, so Ollivander talks about both his parents having these, like, wands that are, um, like, at least 10 inches, and they're, like, one of is a whippy wand for the more charm work, another one is sturdier for transfigurations, but then he goes and he starts Harry Potter on, like, an 8-inch little stub. He starts him on this tiny little wand, and I'm just like, what are you doing? This guy is, like, clearly going to be powerful. He is Harry Potter, the me- like, the boy who lived, and you're gonna start him off on this little, like, 8-inch doohickey, and I'm just like, bro, I could have saved you so much time, and just told you it's like... Ditch the training wheels, buddy. Ditch the training wheels, <laughs> start at 10 inches, period. <laughs> But I feel like he probably was getting something out of that, too. He was probably, like, riding that train for as long as he could. Um, because it's an incredibly I, unique thing. Yeah, I wonder if it's part part uh, selling a wand is part show, too. Of, like, make him really sort of uh, tired and anxious. And <laughs> probably, like, fray, fray your, your little protégé's edges and their their nerves a little bit of like nothing's working ah in the same way that you saw a car (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know i wonder if that's part of it too i i just now realized um like yeah they had the same core but i think they had the same they were made of the same kind of wood too and they're the same length oh isn't voldemort yeah when he touches harry's scar he says i'm sorry to say i sold the wand that did that 13 and a half inches you powerful and then he handed his over the one over to Harry that worked, and he said, "Yes, thirteen and a half inches." You. Oh wow! Curious. Is that right, or is he? Or is he? Mm-hmm. Hanging on. Mm-hmm. So Voldemort has this thirteen and a half inch wand with made of you that's powerful, and then Harry ends up with Holly, eleven inches with the same phoenix feather. So I just misread. Ah uh, yes. Very sorry, Holly. But. Holly. Anyway, so are you ready for quotes? Yeah. Oh, real quick, though. Okay, something I picked up on. Okay. Uh, and again, foreshadowing. Hagrid, his wand was broken in half. He still has those halves. Totally one of them is on the tip of his umbrella. Like, without a doubt. The tip of his umbrella is the other half of his wand. You don't use them, do you? And said Ollivander. Of course not. Like, oh, no. 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 Why did he do Pay that? attention to the man behind the curtain. No. <laughs> it's like, don't <laughs> look at my umbrella, please. Because every time um. Hagrid uses magic, he, he points his umbrella, he taps it on the bricks uh, to get into um, nine and three quarters. Yeah, it, it's in his wand. And it's probably not as fully powerful. I don't know if it's the full wand or just half, but he's still using it. Mm-hmm. So that's... Uh, yeah. I guess predictions and quotes. Yeah, let's go into quotes. What's uh, what's your favorite line from this chapter or lines? So, so I I I cheated a little and I read two of my favorites so that I wouldn't have to choose now. <laughs> so, Sneaky. so the, my favorite one that's left um is when they walk into Ollivander's and mm-hmm. it's uh for some reason the back of Harry's neck prickled. The very dust and silence in here seemed to tingle with some secret magic. Ooh. Yeah. That's sensual. I was like, ooh, I want to walk in there. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I want my neck to tingle with, like, a secret magic. Ooh. No lie. So. I went to this other store in, um, I went to this store in West Village. I was, yeah, I was over by Greenwich um, the other day, and I walked in, and I'm just like, oh, a coffee trade store, whatever. And I walked in, and no lie, I had one of those moments where I'm just like, this is the best smelling place I've ever been in in my life. And, I, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> is that and i looked and there were just like bags and bags and bags of coffee so there's clearly a very strong coffee smell but there was also like this mintiness to it and i wandered all around the store just like slowly walking through the store just trying to figure out like what that smell was so i could just like take it home with me but i couldn't figure it out and it was just like that's just the store itself that's just what happens when you mix you know 50 types of coffee with teas and and spices and i'm just like this is Ah, oh, so I totally know what that's like to just walk in and just be like overtaken by like, whoa, this is a unique place. Um, anyway, <laughs> I think my what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, uh, page sixty-eight, when they're talking about the leaky cauldron. Uh, they're talking about 
let's see, it says, a little man in a top hat was talking to the old bartender who is quite bald and looked like a toothless walnut. That's my favorite. Because, first of all, yeah, too. walnuts don't have teeth. Like, <laughs> it's like, toothless walnut, that's redundant. But it's hilarious <laughs> because, like, toothless walnut, but I totally get it at the same time. Like, I can picture kind of the wrinkles, the stature. It's just a very unconventional way to describe someone, but it's incredibly effective. And mm-hmm. it's little things like that where she didn't have to describe them that way. She could have just chosen any other way, but she chose Toothless Walnut, and I thank her for that. So <laughs> certainly my favorite. And, of course, the wishing he had eight more eyes. I feel like that really captured um, the curiosity of Harry Potter and how overwhelming this is and how he's gonna. it's going to be a lot of times of going back there before he um, really is comfortable and not overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's Chapter 5, Diagon Alley. Now we move on, on to chapter six, da, 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 the journey from platform nine and three quarters. So in this chapter, we have uh, the Hogwarts Express taking Harry to school and he meets all sorts of new classmates, including Ron and Hermione and Neville and Malfoy, who he's already met, but he gets a name for and a whole horde of Weasleys. <laughs> and like a bushel of weasleys there's a got bushel a, of weasleys. a bushel of weasleys <laughs> you can't use normal grouping conventions it's yeah. a bushel uh, uh, yes i like it um, and and then uh when they arrive at the at the platform in at hogwarts um hogsmeade station i think is what it is then mm-hmm. uh hagrid appears and he takes all of the first years who have never been to hogwarts before and takes them separately down to some boats and they approach hogwarts in boats in groups of four and they get to see it lit up at night and it's just this gorgeous gorgeous image so that's harry's introduction to hogwarts in this chapter and it's very sweet so so after spending a month with the dursleys uh harry they drop him off at the station. They actually take him there, and they do laugh at him. They they cackle. Is that the word? I think they do. They cackle. Yeah, I think they cackle, which is very evil of them. Um, but they cackle as they drive away because they're convinced it's not a real train station, and it's all a ruse, and he's just going to have a terrible time, and they're happy about that. So they leave him at the station, and this is where we come to realize, I mean, I noticed this before, but it's where it's emphasized that the invitation that they sent Harry for Hogwarts is woefully lacking in any specifics, any information that would actually be helpful for him. Like, it just says, like, come to Hogwarts, this platform, get on the train. But it doesn't mention, like, by the way, it looks like a brick wall. By the way, none of this. It's just they leave him with nothing. Um, And you're a designer, right? Like, you design things to convey as much information as possible to as many types Mm -hmm. of people. Like, what what would you do with Hogwarts if you had, like, a few (laughs) minutes? If I had a few minutes with Hogwarts, I, I would I would sit down with Dumbledore and I'd say, okay, like, I don't care if you have, like, like, maybe Hagrid would just, was just one of Hogwarts's, like, orientation officers and, mm-hmm. like, like, each muggle-born child is set up with an individual who they meet who sort of talks them through it. I wouldn't be surprised if that, like, if Hermione got, like, a... A, a wizard appeared and ma- they made an appointment and they walked him through Diagon Alley and everything. But like, there was no instruction of where to get all of the all of Harry's school supplies. <laughs> there was mm-hmm. no instruction of how to get on the platform and like, no like explanation of how you pay for the school <laughs> or any yeah, of that. The expenses, even so, like, even when the term is like it says when it starts, like, doesn't say when it ends, doesn't say. You need- none of that you need like an orientation officer but then you also need all of those hard facts in writing (laughs) because you get a little dazzled by like flying owls and and magic wands and like the the world is so surprising and shocking to someone who never knew that this existed and so it can be easy to forget some of those details even if you were told them in person (laughs) you need a hard copy yeah you need a hard copy (laughs) and this led me to kind of um I wasn't sure because on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, of course it says the Ministry of Magic. They can't just have these letters out there that reveal the secrets of how to get into Diagon Alley, how to get to the train station. So it's like they need to keep that a secret. And I get that. But 
there are so many things they could have done. Like, okay, maybe make it only readable if you have a sense of magic. Like, if you if you have anything magic about you, you can pick up on the letters, you know. But they're hidden to everybody else, much like the tavern, you know, much like the leaky cauldron. You can only see it if you can have magic. Or, I don't know, like anything else but i know that when it comes to keeping secrets the whole notion of having a bunch of 11 year olds running around asking people questions in a train station that's a bad idea like the minister of magic he needs to work on that because he is he just has so many people running around asking questions about this platform that may or may not exist and just confusing people and i feel like at a certain point the people working there are going to be like what's with this whole nine and three quarters question unless they chalk it up to it's the annual school prank. Oh. They totally might be able to spin I it totally that way. I like this angle. Or, and I could totally see, oh, like, this is the Dumbledore Ministry of Magic thing. being like, no, 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 we're just going to, like, we're, we're going to perpetuate this lie that it's, like, an annual prank. It's a rite of passage of some school. Yeah. We're going to pick one. <laughs> and we'll just, we'll, we'll just make sure that that, you know, they believe it and that they it's there. And so every year when it happens, they're like, seriously these kids uh, every Cardiff, year every it's year. not funny get over uh, it like, like man rah, rah, rah. Like, there's so many better pranks and here you have people going nine and three quarters trying to ram their carts into it okay yeah no i like that they show up here with owls like who does that <laughs> actually, that'd be really funny if a school actually sent you a list of like you need to bring either a rat an owl a rat or a toad and the people like actually oh that's funny Oh, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. prank. We should that's do it. That's a great prank. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, if I had a fraternity. So it's, you know, if you think about it like a Dursley, you can explain anything away. That's a good point. But he goes to the platform and he, and he meets the bushel of Weasleys. And he, he kind of learns everything he can from the mom. Oh, also, a great way to do exposition is just to have just a stupid amount of kids where the mom can't just say something. She has to specify the person. And then that person has to respond mm-hmm. to it. Where it's like, if it was two kids, mm-hmm. she could be like, hey, all right, time to go. But instead there were five, she would be like, hey, Percy, you do this. Hey, George, hey, this. And then we got to see the reactions, which I thought was a great way of introducing those characters. Um, nice and natural. It felt like chaotic, like dealing with five kids all at once yeah. does, but still so Yeah, and she managed to get yeah. a lot of it use out of it. was a really graceful way to do it. And I'm it. just like, okay, that was a clever way to do it. Um, and... We get to learn that Percy is the oldest child. He's the golden boy. He's probably the most prestigious. Whereas Fred and George, yes, they have their accomplishments, but it's not quite on Percy's level. He has that special like letter that they ask, and they give him crap for it. So we learn, like, okay, Percy's clearly on top. Fred and George are accomplished, but not focused. They're probably underperforming in the school part, but socially and um, in terms of helping the culture of Hogwarts and stuff like that, they're, they're very good at that. And then we just... They're the non-traditional yeah, students. Yeah, they're the non-traditional <laughs> students who everybody loves, except for maybe some of the teachers, uh, which is fine, because you, you have to have a few of those. It increases morale across the campus. It keeps people engaged. And if you get them on your side, they don't seem they don't seem like troublemakers necessarily, but okay, no. They're, they're just not they're just not star students. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're very smart. It's... Yeah, they're they're some. They're just not Hermione's, where it's teacher's pet, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the way that we were introduced to these people was very natural, and it's cute that um, we got to see little Ron Weasley, and he's like so just burdened by the weight of his brother's accomplishments, and now he's like, "Ah, I just have to do, I I just have to live up to this, and he was so worried because he just thought he was a little nothing. Well, and he's like, and it doesn't matter if I'm great at any of it because I have five brothers ahead of me like mm-hmm. every possible way that i could distinguish distinguish myself has already been done like he has he cannot fathom that he could do anything differently from how his brothers have done it and he's like so i'll never be remarkable because someone else did yeah, it yeah and like scholastically too bad your brother already did it sports wise too bad your brothers already did it like funny comedian wise too bad your brothers already did it like there's there's no space for him to enter um And I'm sure, obviously, he's a main character in Harry Potter. He will be legendary in his own way, of course. But he doesn't know that. He's just, like, lost and confused. And he's probably feeling the same thing as Harry Potter. So he sees another lost, confused person, and he's like, I want to sit with him. And also it's Harry Potter, but... Well, yeah, he sits with them, and I I love the thing when when Fred and George help Harry with his trunk, and they introduce themselves. And that's so not a big deal. They're like, really? Are you Harry? 
oh no all right good to meet you bye just like nothing and then they go gossip a little about him and and i love mrs weasley's um comment because i think it's Ginny who wants to go mm-hmm. look go see or i don't i don't remember who it is that she talks to but she's finally like the boy isn't something you goggle at in a zoo and yeah. i was like that was such a satisfying callback to the snake yeah. in the second chapter that i was like yeah he's not don't poke the glass he's not a circus freak like he's a kid and that's very and true and alone and that's the type of foreshadowing <laughs> that like i definitely didn't foresee that as any type of foreshadowing but now that it happens i'm like oh okay she was kind of setting something up and it paid off really well even though it was just a small little thing but it just showed like this author knows what they're doing this author is thinking ahead this author has a plan for where this is going and they've thought they've thought about it and there's stuff that you missed don't worry there's lots of things you missed mm-hmm. and that's a good feeling yeah. and yeah. It kind of goes into a little bit, too, about um, the disparity of uh, the Weasleys and how it's not a rich family at all. And the way that they bring that up is like, first of all, much like Harry Potter was at his old school, we have Ron that's wearing all of his brother's old clothes and stuff that doesn't fit right. And, and we see a lot of parallels to how Harry used to be before he got kind of all this money. Um, but essentially the idea of everyone can tell that you're poor and people kind of make fun of you for it. And, uh, yeah, like I said, a lot of the things that we saw in Harry Potter at his old school, we're now seeing in Ron, which makes them immediately, like, relatable. It makes sense that they're getting along with each other. Yeah, and even, and he's so, uh, Ron is so self-conscious about it, and he's, like, just really kind of meek, like, oh, the the food truck, the the trolley comes along, and he's like, no, I have got sandwiches. And and one of my favorite moments in this chapter Mm -hmm. was when Harry got all of the treats, and and he's so excited about it and then there's there's the moment when um when he's sharing with ron and it's this great line that's like and it was so nice to share because he'd never had anything to share before yeah. and it's just like oh my heart breaks this is so sweet <laughs> and i love that line too where it says that both of the sandwiches went uneaten like they ended up just eating all the all the pasties and stuff and that's great and it it speaks a little bit to where it's like they got caught up in the moment and yeah, they both talk about, like, oh, we can share sandwiches. But, like, no. They both know that they're just going to eat as many treats as they can. They're two kids, and they're going to eat all the sugar mm-hmm. that they can. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because, like, okay, so Ron is, their family is poor, right? But he has an insane amount of cards from Chocolate Frogs. And, like, even if those are just, like, a, a coin or two, <laughs> he's, he's spent a decent amount of money on those. And to where he has, like, 400 cards or something like that, and he's just missing a few. I wonder... I wonder how many of those are hand-me-downs, too, from, like, Bill and Charlie, and, like, I mean, you you grow up, and to a certain point, you don't care about... Yeah, it's like, you still eat them, but you don't keep the cards. cards or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I I wonder how many of those are hand-me-downs. Still, I was surprised. I'm like, ah, we see a sense of priorities here. (laughs) He doesn't have much money, but when he has it, it goes right to uh, Candy Frogs. Which makes sense. The hunt for Agrippa. Hunt yeah. for Agrippa. Oh, and those cards talk about again exposition bot three thousand. Like, what a great way to just introduce characters. Really nicely done. I was when I got to it, I was like, yeah, this is just like a lot of information told really succinctly, and like paints another like Dumbledore is a really interesting character that we have so far a lot of external views of who he is and now we have another one and it's like yeah we met him in the first chapter but he was so like played his cards so close to his chest that he's kind of a hard character to figure out and and it's it they're trying but i i there's a part of me that's like these are all fractured views of who this guy yeah. is and like politically he could have been minister of magic but like dude does everyone know that i don't know maybe they would keep that secret because it's like that's essentially saying, like, this person is very powerful magically, which, of course, people know. Anyway, it is curious to see him from outside views. And, like, the whole concept of, like, people are just there for the picture for a little bit. But that doesn't mean that they, like, go stand. Because it's not like Dumbledore goes and stands somewhere and waits for people to look at him. So it's, like, it's got to be, like, on some kind of loop. But it's a very curious idea on um, pictures and, the, and, and how things are magical and in what way they're magical. So it is kind of curious. It, I could see it, it being kind of funny that the people come to Dumbledore and they're like, hey, if we give you like 
couple thousand dollars will you just go kind of stand here every now and then whenever you're bored just stand here and be bored and <laughs> that'd be great that'd be great who knows i feel like you're not telling me something about that we'll see i i think you'll you, the whole uh moving pictures thing is is still kind of hard for me to understand uh, but it's Mm. It, it gets gradual explanations throughout the whole story that is really interesting. It's I don't really understand how paintings versus pictures work because mm-hmm. paintings also oh, move cool. and I don't it's never really understood um, it's never really explained if because at one point there's there's a kid with a muggle, a muggle camera mm-hmm. and he can bewitch his oh cool his photos to move but it's like okay so are there magic cameras that just automatically do it or is it all a spell or what and so then it's never really properly explained interesting yeah Hmm. it's just one of those like you just have to accept it and we'll reveal a little bit more as we need and that's fine they cover so much (laughs) in the chapter as it is um oh especially we meet hermione too uh so like as these kids are like wrapped up in their pile makes the worst first impression she seems terrible (laughs) oh my goodness Poor girl. Um, I, I had to wonder. She like she comes in and she's such she's such a know-it-all. She's trying to help out Neville, trying to help Neville find mm-hmm. his toad. And and she like asks Ron a question about like, are you sure that's a real spell? Mm-hmm. And doesn't give him any time to actually answer. She just like plows on like, I don't think it's a real spell. I studied all my books. Yeah, like, you're just like, <laughs> okay, like, like, excuse like, me. I don't need to be here for this uh you know, self-admiration that you have going on. I don't know. But um, I wonder how much of that is actually a Muggleborn's uh, defense mechanism of, like, sort of the extreme uh, reaction to what Harry's feeling of, I don't know anything, and this is a scary world, and what if I'm not good enough? And for him, he, he sort of more gracefully enters it by being quiet and trying not to draw attention to and himself. And she just learns and everything and tries to just, like, talk about how much she does know. Yeah, and tries to, like, prove her worth right from the get-go, I think. Um, and, and convince people around her, like, yeah, no, I belong here. See, I already know things. Yeah, I've already read all my books, which, again, sets her yeah. apart from everyone, because, like, who reads their books before the semester even starts? So it's definitely overcorrecting yeah. in the other direction. Um, and it will yeah. come in handy, I'm sure. But, yeah, oh, yeah, bad first impression. Which leads me to my yeah. very first saying of, and I, I, this will not be the last time I say it in this podcast, but uh, which, please, please, <laughs> take it down a notch. <laughs> oh, oh, that's bad. Oh, it hurts. Right in the yeah, side. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a kidney shot. Uh, we're talking about a kid's book. We can, we can, we can make bad puns. Oh, which, please. <laughs> which, please, take it down a notch. No one cares about his, his gross toad that you can't even tell if it's alive. Oh. And so, uh, speaking of that that scene where, like, she bursts in right as Ron's about th- to do this totally bogus <laughs> spell, which is <laughs> like a nursery rhyme, clearly, yeah. clearly not a real oh, spell. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you probably even know oh, of that, course, and of you course, you haven't gotten to a real spell yet. Yeah, um, I'm just like, no, and... there's nothing Latin about this. This is silly. This is like, yeah, there's no way this yeah. is gonna work. No. So you, as as like. D- has such a little knowledge of Harry Potter mm-hmm. beyond what we've read, already know that this is crap. How is it that Ron, who grew up in a wizarding family, mm-hmm. doesn't know that this is crap? I think his brothers must just <laughs> like, be so convincing. Oh, man. You're... I just, I, I got to that. I was like, oh, Ron, don't be so gullible. Yeah, especially like, in front of other people. Like, why why even bring it up? Like, uh, try it he's out. probably trying to, like, show <laughs> off. And, you know, he's trying to contribute and be like, yeah, look at what I can do. But, like, bro why why would you do this to yourself don't don't go for the home run exactly. just try for a base exactly. hit <laughs> like... yeah you're trying to bring something to life or to like give it the the at least movements of an animal that's kind of an advanced spell especially for his broken wand no, he... oh his broken wand makes me so no, sad he's just trying to turn it yellow that's all he was oh yeah he's just do. trying to change the color of it but still like yeah that's, that's something like eh, eh, whatever i'm just like buddy don't do that especially didn't they say that, like, the tip of, like, the core of his wand is sticking out because the wand's broken? Oh, that makes me sad. I want him to get a better wand. I want him to go to Ollivander's. Yeah. Okay, so so we got Hermione. We mm-hmm. got 
Ron doing his not great spell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we meet Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle. Mm-hmm. And they they kind of trounce in because they're like, dude, every, everyone is talking about how Harry Potter's here. Is it true? Oh, my gosh. They're like, we don't care, Malfoy's but we totally like, want to know. I'm, I'm all strutty about it. And like, yeah, like, you, you, you should fall in with us. It's going to be great. And I was so struck in that moment of reading that, that how interestingly the antithesis of Dudley Malfoy is while at the same time being a bully. Yeah, because he's like, inclusive. Like, he wants like he wants well, to bring him in and like have him in his crew, but clearly not in well, a friendly way. And it's and it's cuz he's smart. And and so like but the thing just the image of Dudley, the biggest guy in the group mm-hmm. with all of his kind of scrawny friends mm-hmm. and like Dudley's the leader cuz he's the biggest stupidest and meanest as we learned in like chapter two Mm -hmm. and now here's malfoy who's the scrawniest of the bunch and the smartest and probably also the meanest yeah totally but like i love how jk rowling created two bullying systems that don't necessarily echo with each other like they're completely different iterations while still doing the same thing and and so it sort of brings this like it's not just like every big fat guy is the bully mm-hmm. or every like scrawny kind of uh, conniving guy is the bully and that's it. It's it's a much more complex world of of foils and villains. Of of goyles and villains. Kind. Huh? Of goyles and villains. <laughs> goyles. Goyles. <laughs> yeah. And crap. Like they, they even have mean names. They do oh, have that mean was names. the other thing. Um when Malfoy introduces himself, mm-hmm. he's like, "I'm like this is Crab and Goyle, and I'm and I'm Malfoy, Draco Malfoy." And it's like Ooh. everyone else who we've met, we get first names. What kind of eleven year old introduces himself with a last name? That's a good point, but I think it ties back to where he's talking about my dad, my dad, my dad. Where he's like, "I am a Malfoy," you know, the Malfoys. Yeah. I'm one of those. I, yeah, I I think you're right. I think it's a um, it's a name recognition. It's a pure blood like. Like you know who I am. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't know who I am, you don't need to. I don't need to know who you are if you don't know who I am based exactly. on my last name. Or maybe he's just trying to mask that awful first name. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, please call me Malfoy. <laughs> like don't call me after the kind of froofy sounding dragon in the sky. <laughs> Hi, my name is Draco. I'm from Canada. Uh, <laughs> I love Hufflepuffs. Yeah, Draco. Not a good name. Um, yes, we have Crab. We have Goyle. Which who names your kid Grab? Like why would you do that? Or Crab, rather. Mm. It's a surname. Oh. They're both surnames. Oh. Really? Yeah, Vincent Vincent Crab and Gregory Goyle, I think. <laughs> Greg Goyle. I could I could be wrong on Goyle, but I know it's Vincent Crab. So like they're they're all pure blood surname. Like you don't even need to know my first name, you just need to know my family affiliation. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And then Harry gets an owl, by the way. I love that Harry gets an owl. It makes me so Aww. happy. Yeah. Hedwig, who, yeah, I, I love, Um, I was like, who names? I was thinking about it. I was like, how did Harry name this owl? Did the owl come with the name Hedwig? Mm-hmm. Um, no, and... he picks it out of an no. encyclopedia. Um, so he names Hedwig after someone in the history of magic. And um, that someone was actually a saint. Saint oh. Hedwig, Hedwig. Likely a woman in the Middle Ages. Hmm. So that's like all that's known. But... Like, how cool that it's named after a lady, German lady. I like it. Who's also a saint. Oh, and Draco, he, like, threatened Harry Potter, like, off of the bat. Sorry, to go back to that. Like, Yeah, no. And, like, Harry Potter should be someone who's, like, kind of powerful, right? And, like, they would know him as, like, okay, he survived this. So the, the notion of telling him that he needs to be careful because he doesn't have the right tone, it's like, wow, Draco, like, you really think that you have some sway that you can talk i mean yeah harry potter's untrained but like come on man like most people should be afraid of him at least a little bit or i mean yeah i think that just speaks to how draco draco was raised probably with this father who is very influential and so all of his friends probably also fear this father Mm -hmm. and he sort of wields that relationship like a weapon and 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 he's grown up in around people who know him and know his father and now he's dealing with a weasley 
who Mm -hmm. has been kind of taught to disregard this family because they're traitors and awful and and terrible. Yeah, his parents were Voldemort followers, weren't they? Yeah, that's... that's, uh, Ron said they were some of the first to come back to their side after Voldemort fell and said that they... Uh, they had been bewitched and so that they were never truly loyal to Voldemort mm. and and Ron's like yeah that's a bunch of bull <laughs> yeah and that kind of leads me to again to like the sleeper cell thing where it's like hmm I wonder if they're gonna come back out of the woodwork uh mm-hmm. probably yeah probably yeah so there's that and and so Malfoy just sort of wields this relationship and he's not used to a lot of resistance, I don't think, in that. No. Um, he's he's probably used to, like, daddy standing right behind him, and he doesn't even know that he's there. And so this, like, short little kid is kind of giving the stink eye to someone, and then that someone run, scurries away, and he's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And had no idea that dad was right behind him, giving the stink eye much scarier. <laughs> and this goes the same idea, too, where it's like, Harry Potter's not used to being bullied this way, so when he uses the same... Um, reactions of like just trying to be clever and kind of talk crap it doesn't work against draco because draco's like oh you're gonna talk like that are you okay well watch your back buddy and yeah and it's like it's about to go to a knockdown drag out fight and then scabbers saves the day by like biting either crab or goil i don't remember which one and then it's like instant like rabies freak out of like ah no yeah, and there's run like away. this rat hanging off him. And then the rat just like goes back to sleep. Like nothing ever happened. Like, whatever. He's like, eh. <laughs> like... <laughs> They oh, all thought he was man. dead. And then they end up, the, the train ride ends like in this like big climax of they're, oh, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, or they're about to fight, but then it gets interrupted and then they scurry off and like all this stuff happens. And then it's like, okay, they're there. And Hagrid's like, all right, everybody out. And they get on this little pathway and they wander and they wander and they wander. And then they get this great like cinematic moment where they round the corner and you can hear like some some song playing like concerning hobbits or some like epic sounding type song <laughs> where they introduce new things as they round this corner and there it is Hogwarts and it's a really beautiful setup yeah it's i i would love to experience that in the movie they do that's maybe one of my favorite parts about the first movie is they they show that scene in the perfect cinematic way yeah and it felt like it was written for a movie, or it was written yeah. in the same. Yeah, it makes it's sense. So, so such a stunning visual, and and then they like go through this curtain of ivy that that hides a tunnel, and then they come to this like underground bank, and they get off, and then they march up to the front door of Hogwarts, and they knock, and that's that's the what the second or third mm-hmm. chapter that has ended with. Hagrid knocking on a door. Oh, I didn't even think about <laughs> like, that. You're totally right, yeah, though. Sort, sort of interesting. Second one, the the first chapter ended with Harry waiting at a door. So there's a lot of waiting at doors. Hmm. <laughs> a lot of doors in this book. Yeah. Anyway, so do you have any favorite quotes from this chapter? Favorite quotes from this uh-huh. chapter. You know, not as many things stuck out. Um, do you have one stashed away? I do. I have... Uh, I, I loved a couple. Um, I'm going to name two because I, I can't help myself. Yeah, please um, So I, I love right when uh, the Hogwarts Express is leaving the station and Harry looks out and and Harry felt a great leap of excitement. He didn't know what he was going to, but it had to be better than what he was leaving behind. And I love that, like, yeah, like, you're, you're, you're hurtling off into something great and unknown and it's thrilling and it's exciting. And I think that totally captured the feeling of, of travel and traveling to a new place that you've never been to before. There's a good, good feeling there. And then my other one's a funnier one and it's, um, and Harry's asking Ron about his family. It's like, is all your family wizards? And Ron's like, yeah, I think mom's got a second cousin who's an accountant. I love that. We never talk about him. Oh, I love that. I read that. I'm like, that's funny. That's good writing. It was such a great uh, wizarding equivalent to Aunt Petunia never talking about Lily. Like, yeah, you just, you don't, you don't talk about the black sheep over there. He's the accountant. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Especially because accountant is like, what a harmless job. You know, it's like, that's such a normal. There's got to be wizard accountants too. But no, no, he was just a just an accountant yeah that was funny (laughs) um i liked i guess i just 
it's not necessarily one line, but it's just the description of Elvis Dumbledore and the way that she chose to um, do it. It says, Considered by many the greatest wizard of modern times, Dumbledore is pra- or particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945, for the discovery of the Twelve Uses of Dragon's Blood, and his work on alchemy with his partner Nicholas Flamel. Professor Dumbledore enjoys chamber music and ten-pin bowling. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Like, wizard bowling. I... I wondered. Oh, I totally bet it's Muggle bowling. Uh, I, yeah. I would bet. Um, but I wondered, and I was totally gonna look it up, but I didn't know how I could get my hands on it. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that have been translated in the American version from the mm-hmm. UK version. Oh, and I ten wonder pin what it bowling, is. I don't think is a UK thing, and so I've and I know in Canada they have five pin bowling instead oh. with like teeny tiny little balls that fit in your hand. Yeah, and you get holes. three throws or something, right? Yeah. Okay. And so I, I, but I don't remember if the UK does 10 pin bowling or five pin bowling or what. Um, and so I got to that and I was like, that seems like an American thing. I wonder if that's been translated for my American reading pleasure or not. That's but either way, I love it. I love it. Hmm. <laughs> I hope they, uh, I hope that's in the movie, right? Just a couple scenes of <laughs> Dumbledore. You know it. Uh, no, no. <laughs> kicking it easy, throw, throwing back a fishbowl. <laughs> Ten pin bowling. Ten pin bowling. Yeah. Mm. Maybe <laughs> even disco bowling. Who knows? <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, you know that Dumbledore would be all about the disco bowling. Oh, totally. In the seventies, like because <laughs> he just he would fit right in, you know, with the beard and the glasses. Like he probably throw, spent more throw time. Throw the in beard the over the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. Oh, so uh, next uh, after this, we we learn they go into Hogwarts and they do the Sorting Hat and stuff. I'm excited for that. Yeah, so um, we may in our in our next episode we're gonna do chapters. What are we at? Seven and eight. Seven and so eight. The sorting hat mm-hmm. and the it? potions master. Potions yes. master. Is he, so, did we already learn his name? Oh no, that's the dark arts. Wait, what's the name of the guy that he met in the shop? That was all shaky. Mister Professor Quirrell. Yeah. Yeah, he was a professor of defense against the dark arts. Yeah, and first of all, vampires, huh? How about that? Yeah. Vampires exist. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? This guy. <laughs> and a hag, which I was trying to figure out what a hag was. As far as I can tell, it's just kind of a haunting spirit. Um, a loud haunting spirit. Maybe we'll see. I don't know if that was foreshadowing or if that was just character development. I mean, if anything, it, it described that like the forest around Hogwarts has mystical creatures, and some of which are dangerous. So I feel like that kind of accomplished getting that across, but I don't remember hearing anything about vampires with harry potter hopefully they're not sparkly if they do exist they're definitely i don't think there's anything in this universe that's sparkly per se oh one one thing we should probably mention we don't need to talk very much about Mm -hmm. um but right at the very end of our chapter we uh we learned that dun 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 no one shocked gringotts the vault has been broken into (laughs) using the daily prophet we learned this so that that's that's probably something that we need to pay attention to. But I think it's so funny that like that's it happened a month ago, and that's the thing that Ron's like, dude, did you hear? Did you mm-hmm. hear about that? And it's like, either one, his family has been talking about it way more than they should be, Could or be. like that news broke like a month after it actually happened, which is very possible. Or, or I don't know, like, it's, I don't understand why an 11-year-old kid would be like, dude, did you hear about this? Oh, my god! Yeah, it's like bank robbery <laughs> that happened a month ago. Like, yeah, that, it, especially that this one, one that they know is muggle-born. Yeah. Or muggle-raised. Well, and I, I, I felt like that, that was one of the only things in this chapter, but it felt a little bit too heavy-handed expository. Hmm. Like, I didn't even it, think about that, but it, you're totally right, where it's like, that is just a weird thing to be like, hey, you hear? Especially when there was so... The whole Green Guts thing felt heavy-handed already. So the fact mm-hmm. that they kind of reveal it in a heavy-handed matter is like, guys, you could have done this in a much more so much more way. gracefully yeah. somehow. Yeah, and we would have gotten yeah. the same point across. Yeah, but it was good. Anyway. It was good chapters. I'm looking forward to the next ones. Um, yeah. So in two weeks. In two weeks, stay tuned for the uh, next episode of Wordstruck. <laughs>